You're listening to another inspiring teaching from Devonport Church of Christ, Tasmania, Australia. For more information about our church, please log on to www.devonportcoc.com.au. Um, I think it's interesting the kind of things uh, that you see other drivers do whilst they drive their car. Um, I've actually, uh, in Melbourne, I've actually seen men drink coffee out of one hand and read the newspaper in another whilst their elbows are on the wheel uh, and even maybe even uh, talking on their Bluetooth headsets. So I've seen women uh, expertly put on lipstick or makeup in the mirror while eating McDonald's whilst driving. And uh, it's quite crazy, but we live in a society where multitasking is the norm. Where operating with a, demo, a divided mind is a highly praised skill. Uh, this ideology, I think, even uh, infected our online presence. I was reading on Facebook, a Facebook post just this last week. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook. Uh, I, a friend posted, you know, sometimes I'm exhausted by five minutes on Facebook. Then I realised that if I actually had an in-person conversation about international politics, was handed four cartoons, watched someone else's cat do something really, really funny and stupid right in front of me, meet two new babies in the hallway, uh, congratulate a friend on their recent wedding, saw someone leave the country, read two articles that changed someone else's life, Uh, I would have had a full emotional day, and this was only five minutes on Facebook, no wonder I'm tired. I wonder if we aren't trying to do too much at times. Uh, I wonder if our lives are pulled in so many different directions without some kind of centering, without some kind of centre. We're in our third week in a series that we've called One Thing looking at the instances in scripture where the term or phrase one thing is used. There's actually seven instances in scripture where the term one thing is used. And so far we've looked at one thing I ask. Uh, King David, one thing I ask in Psalm 27. What was the one thing that he asked? The one thing, if you got to ask God one question, what would it be? Well, his one thing that he got to ask God was he asked to God to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and seek his presence. That was the one thing that he asked. Last Sunday, yeah, we unpacked one thing to prioritise with the rich young ruler. He had everything, but he lacked one thing. I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation, maybe at Christmas or a birthday celebration, where you are hosting at your house. Maybe it's a Christmas lunch and you're you're, you're hosting at your house and there are many guests and family members and there is a lot of preparations to be done, food to be cooked and served. And because of all the preparations and all the things that you have to do, stress enters in. And and what is supposed to be an enjoyable time ends up being stressful, draining and deflating. That is exactly what happens in our text today with Mary and Martha. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And uh, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, 
he entered a certain village, it's actually Bethany, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Many of you know this story, you've read this story, heard this story before, but this story is about to step on some people's toes. Two women who are sisters are hosting Jesus. Kind of a big deal, right? I mean, you thought hosting Christmas lunch was a big deal? Talk about hosting the creator of the universe. Think about that for a second. However, you know, two women, and you would think that this is a, a, the scripture tells us that it became a tense thing. This is Martha's home, and, and so we can conclude that Martha is most likely the elder of the two sisters. And so Jesus enters the house, and here is the scene. Martha is making sure there are dips and crackers and refreshments and some nibbles and cashews before the main meal. However, Mary goes to Jesus and falls to his feet and sits at his feet. Now, it's very important to understand that Mary in this moment is saying to Jesus as a rabbi, I am here to learn from you. I am here as a disciple and as a follower. So Mary takes this position and posture as a disciple of Jesus. Quite bold, in fact, when you think about it. Quite bold when you consider that women weren't normally allowed to do that. But what I love is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, go away, Mary, and get back into the kitchen. He doesn't say that. He simply starts teaching. He is talking And Mary is soaking up every word, every word that he has to say. Before I go any further today, I need to tell you that some of you are natural Marys uh, because this is how you are wired. No problem focusing on the Lord. No problem centering yourself on the presence of Jesus. But that is rare because most of us here today are Marthas running from here to there doing this and doing that, making sure the table settings and placements are right and that the cream has been whipped. Martha is about to get real frumpy with her sister because she's listening to Jesus. She's listening to Jesus and we still have to set up the card table because of all the extra disciples. Can you raise your hand this morning here if you're a bit of a, if you're a bit of a Martha? No. Well, thank you if you're a Martha because it means I get fed. And the first thing that we need to learn about this text this morning is this: don't demonize Martha. 
All that Martha cares about is hospitality. And all that Mary cares about is spirituality. Let's not beat too much up on Martha. Martha was a giving person. She owned a house so large, she could give lodging to Jesus and the disciples. Taking care of so many was, of people was expensive. Yet she willingly entertained them. Do you know that Martha was a courageous person? It was now at this time very dangerous to be seen with Jesus. It was dangerous to associate too closely with Jesus, especially around Jerusalem. Remember, Bethany was only a few miles from Jerusalem. The authorities were, at this stage, seeking ways to trap Jesus and to kill Jesus. Many of his own disciples had forsaken him and others were now speaking out against him. Even his own family had rejected Jesus. But nevertheless, Martha welcomed him and she was willing, in this moment, she was willing to let the world know of her devotion to him. Martha was a caring and a loving person. She loved and cared for her sister Mary. Note that Mary was living with Martha and that her brother Lazarus was also living there. Why? For some unknown reason, Martha was taking care of them, of them both. So she felt, Martha felt a deep devotion to her family, loving and caring for them very, very much. Romans 12, 13 says, Hospitality is a sacrifice that has long marked the lives of Christ's followers. So hospitality, church, is not a minor thing. It's not something to dismiss. For if we do, we can say goodbye to all the church meals and potluck lunches that churches have had over the years and lunches on us and all those types of things that marks Christian churches today. The Apostle Paul says that we should practice hospitality towards one another. The word hospitality comes from a, a Greek word called xenophilia. It's two words put together. There's the xeno, and it's xeno is the word for stranger, and philia, if you know all the different types of loves, philia is a type of love, like agape. Philia is a love that you show to family. It means a love for a family. Have you ever heard of the word xenophobia? You've heard of the word xenophobia. So it's the same word, started the same word, but xenophobia means people who are afraid of others and strangers. But xenophilia means the love of strangers. <coughs> Excuse me, the love of strangers. And it's where we get the word hospitality from. It's, it's, it's not like let's have a party and invite only Uncle Eddie. It's not like that at all. It's like, no, no, and we just invite Uncle Eddie and my best mates. No, hey, it's this. You are a stranger and I will welcome you into my home with a love just like I have a love for my own family. Also, what word do you see in, the, what English word do you see in the word hospitality? Hospital. Exactly, hospital. Do you realise that Christian hospitality 
was the roots of the beginnings of the hospitals that you and I know today. That's just started with Christian hospitality from the church. Hospitals, hospitals, places where whoever rolls in on an emergency gurney is treated and cared for just like it was the doctor's brother's like brother. Like in our hospitals, people are not rolled in and nurses and doctors say, do you know him? No, I don't know him. Do you know him? No, I don't know him. We'll roll him out again. We don't know him. We're only here to serve our friends. I mean, that doesn't happen, does it? Martha, in this story, is doing a biblical thing. She was being obedient to the will of God. So, listen to me. Let's not play this as a good girl, bad girl thing. But rather, let's look for the deeper meaning here. So let's keep reading. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. That word distracted is important. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. I want to say something this morning that's relevant for people in this room and relevant for other people in the next service and relevant for people in our church. When Jesus pays you a visit, there are things that you are not ready to receive or hear from him. There are people in this room today that Jesus visited you and he had a word to say to you. You are not emotionally or or spiritually mature enough to hear what he has to say to you because if you heard it, you'd run home. I just want to say that today, that there are some things that some of you in this room cannot hear yet from Jesus because you're not in a place to hear it. Sure, he loves you, but that's part of love. But some of us are not ready to hear what he really wants to say to some of us. And in this text, church, Martha reveals her state of mind. Martha, after practicing her hospitality, is upset and reveals the condition of her heart. Martha is distracted by her many tasks. The word, the Greek word for distracted is is per respato, P-E-R-E-E-S-P-A-T-O. And it means more than just an inability to concentrate. The word perispato, the word means to be pulled or dragged away. Some of you are, when some, there are people who come to Sunday church and they're in this room and they're perispato every Sunday. What I mean by that, I'm not talking about ADHD or anything like that or an ability to concentrate. I'm talking about Paris Bateau that you are so divided and distracted that you're pulled and divided in so many ways that you don't have to hear what Jesus has to say to you. You're unable to concentrate in the sermon. There are people who, listen to me, I know you've got to go to the toilet sometimes and it's more the second service, but Inability, if you have an inability to concentrate or paraspato, sit in the back row, please. Because there's so much distraction. And listen, it's not an ADHD thing, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. 
Paraspato. I'm talking about an inability because we're thinking about other things to do and other places to be, and it's a spiritual blockage. Paraspato, and this is exactly what's happening to Mary, to Martha. She's so divided. She's so she's Mary, Martha is isn't distracted only by the task of hospitality. She's pulled internally in two different directions because she's working so much harder than Mary. She wants Mary to do what she's doing, to fall in line with the social customs of the day because that's what women do. Women serve in the kitchen, not at the rabbi's feet. Martha is so distracted, she is comparing herself to her sister. Can you hear it when she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's so frustrated. Have you you ever been there? She's so frustrated in this moment. She's so divided. Just a hot tip. Things usually don't go well for you when you tell God what to do. I just want to just let you know that. When you tell God what to do, Jesus is God, here he is. When you tell God what to do, things don't normally go well well for you. I know that in, in my own life as well. And it's no different for Martha. Martha says to Jesus, don't you care that little Miss Rabbi is over there doing nothing? Well, I'm here slaving away and I haven't even got to preparing dessert yet. Jesus, don't you care? Think about it. Jesus, don't you care? Have you said that before? Jesus, don't you care? Oh, Martha. Martha, Martha. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you have any idea who's visiting you today? Does Jesus care? Woman, Jesus is going to die for your sins on the cross. She then says, not only Jesus, don't you care, but she then says, Jesus, could you go and talk to her for me? Jesus, could you go and talk to her? Could you go and tell her what to do for me? Haven't we all done that? Mom, Dad, she's not helping. She's not helping. Go and tell her to help. Well, haven't we done that in church? Why aren't they at the working bee? Tell them to come. Martha wanted our Lord to tell Mary to rise from sitting at his feet and come and help in the preparation of the meal. And she was begrudging Mary's, the place that she had taken and chosen. Martha reveals her state of mind. And I think that times when people serve in churches, or what they can, it reveals their state of mind at times. Here's the other thing. Um, you can serve Jesus, but not know Jesus. How many know that's true? You can serve Jesus, but not know him. I mean, it's so crazy. You can serve Jesus, but not know Jesus. The issue for Martha is that an overemphasis on hospitality can drag you away from the presence of Jesus. Some of you need to hear that today. 
An overemphasis on hospitality can drag you away from the presence of Jesus. I've seen it in this church over eight and a half years. I've seen people who would rather serve in the kitchen for an event than be in here to hear the word. True, fact. So focused on hospitality that it can drag you away from the very presence of Jesus himself. Think about this. Jesus, the King of Kings, is in her living room. The King of Kings is in Martha's living room. He's only going to pass by this place once again. And the focus then will not be Mary and Martha, but who? Lazarus. Jesus is in your house and all you're worried about is the garlic bread. Martha is actively serving Jesus, but she's missing him. She's actively serving him, but she's missing him. Her life in this moment is defined by duty and should and should not. Her commitment to her duties is disconnected from her love for Jesus Christ. Martha's life is unscented and fragmented. I mean, even if Martha did sit at Jesus' feet, she would still be distracted by who's going to make the gravy. Yet Mary is centred only on Jesus. She's not going to miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. She's engaged, she's slowed down and attentive to the things of Christ. And I think, church, that one of the surest signs that your life is out of order is when you try and tell Jesus what to do. This is not a discussion about either or. Should we practice hospitality or spirituality? No, this is all about what should come first. Like if you had, let me ask you honestly a question. If you had the opportunity, if you had the choice between making lunch for Jesus or spending time with Jesus, what would you choose? And I know some of you say, but Jesus needs to be fed. If you had the choice between making lunch for Jesus or spending time with Jesus, what would you choose? What's the one thing? This is the whole point of the text. What's the one thing? You choose what's most important. And you say, but now listen, don't worry about the bread because the bread of life is visiting you, sister. Jesus responds to her, you can hear it. Is it Martha, Martha? Martha, Martha, you are worried and pulled apart by many things. He just read a mind. There is need of only one thing. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, listen to me, sister. I love you. But I'm not going to tell Mary, hey, get in there and bring me the next side. Mary has chosen better. And today, I'm not going to take it away from her. Martha, Martha, you think God shows up in your to-do lists, but I'm here to tell you, sister, that God shows up in his word. We have a running commentary in my household. This is so true. The dad always chooses the worst meal when we eat at a restaurant. And mum always chooses the better meal. 
I gotta tell you, that happens every single time. It drives me nuts. Mum has chosen better. Well, Martha, today your sister Mary has chosen better. She has slowed down enough to focus on Jesus and to centre her life on him. That was her better choice. Martha, I love you, but today you got your priorities mixed up. And it leads me to this final point. You know what? You can't give what you don't possess. You can't give what you don't possess. You can't give what you don't have. You can't spiritually give to someone something you don't have. You can't give what you don't possess. You can't do what you don't know either. But you can't give what you don't possess. You can't take some people to places you ain't been before. You can't give what you don't possess. It's one of the clear applications from today's text is understanding this dynamic between doing for God and being with God. Do you know for Martha, whilst her hospitality is to be commended, her being with Jesus is not sufficient to sustain her doing for Jesus. This is huge. So if you... If her being with Jesus is not enough to sustain her doing for Jesus. So this is some material I got from Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. You see that Martha being with God on the scales, her doing for God and her being with God. And Mary's on the scales being with God and doing for God. So... You note the contrast in those two diagrams. I think the story of Mary and Martha demonstrates a vitally important truth. The active life in the world for God can only properly flow from a deep inner life with God. See, Mary is focused on being with Jesus. She is attentive, open, taking pleasure in his presence. She's engaged in a slow-down spirituality that prioritises being with Jesus over doing for Jesus. If Mary had gotten up and helped Martha, I think that Mary would not have been as overwhelmed and distracted and upset by the same things as Martha was. Why? Because Mary was living from a centred spiritual life. In the Christian life, 25 years being in pastoral ministry, let me tell you, uh, I wouldn't be in pastoral ministry today if I didn't take every day, every one day off every seven. Or if I hadn't have taken too long service leaves or taking holidays. In the Christian life, you can't keep giving out when you are not receiving anything in. That's true for pastors, but it's true for Christians as well. We must be before we do, right? We must be before we do. Shouldn't a small group leader be before they do? What do you reckon? 
Shouldn't a small group leader be before they do? If they don't be before they do, what have they got to give? Shouldn't a small group leader be before they do? Shouldn't, uh, shouldn't a youth leader be before they do? Shouldn't a night kids leader be before they do? Shouldn't a CCL leader be before they do? Shouldn't a pastor be before they do? Shouldn't a Christian be before they do? If we don't, if we don't prioritise being with Jesus and we over-prioritise doing for Jesus, um, what in fact do you have to offer? Is this making sense? What do you have to give out from? You can't lead people to places you've never been before in the spiritual life. So, because if you're just doing, 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 don't get me wrong that God has given us good work for us to do. We're saved by grace, but we do works. We're not saved by works, but we still do works. But we can do it from the wrong place. And I know that my doing is exceeding my being when I can't shake the pressure I feel from having to do too much, having too much to do in too little time. I, I'm ignoring the stress, anxiety, and tightness of my body. I'm always rushing. I am defensive and easily offended. I'm fearful about the future. I am preoccupied and distracted. What about this one? I fire off quick opinions and judgments. I feel unenthusiastic about or threatened by the success of others. I spend more time talking than listening. I am concerned about what others think. What do you reckon? Those of you who are doing the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course um, that Yowie is facilitating are practising habits that will help you to be with God on a regular basis. The art of practising silence and solitude, which we learned about last year, practising the habit of having a daily office throughout the day. Those of you who have done the course or doing the course, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you just stop at a number of times during the day, a daily office, check in with God at a fixed hour throughout the day just to centre your mind and your thoughts and emotions on him. And these practices help us slow us down and form habits that will draw you towards being with God. See, Martha and Mary, they, they have different gifts. Let's not demonise Martha at all. But there was only one thing that was needed that day. One thing. And that was missed. It was being with God, opposed from doing with God. Amen?